0: businesses only move as fast as they can make decisions. And a corollary to that is better data really enacts or really enables better decision-making. The road of an entrepreneur is
1: guaranteed to be askew and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit? Yet still remain profitable. These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer. And it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to the dirt. Our guest today joins us from Southern, sunny Southern California. (laughs) He has spent his entire career at the intersection of customer service and analytics. And as he first earned his stripes at Accenture for over a decade, he then went all in like many of us do, so to speak, on becoming an entrepreneur, founding, you probably guessed it, a customer service analytics company. After five years of grinding away in the dirt, he's now able to share some awesome stories about the depth of his journey with us. So without further ado, founder and CEO of Service Mob,
0: Anuj Bala, welcome. Welcome. Hey, Jim, welcome. Uh, welcome. I, I'm welcome to be new to your own podcast, but uh, I'm glad well, to be you. here, you know. So <laughs> so uh, thanks so much for having me and, uh, you know, really excited about this talk today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Me too. So I obviously gave my surface level intro of, of who you are, but take us a little, <laughs> little deeper, right? Uh, what is sure. it that you really do at, at ServiceMob?
0: Well, you know, we are a customer service analytics company. Customer service, you know, it's it's uh we all know it. We we probably all hate it for certain reasons, <laughs> but it's a necessary evil. I think someone once said, you know, there's three certainties in life like death, taxes, and I think a distant third is customer service. <laughs> we all have to deal with it, right? I mean, if you're rich, poor, it doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter where you are in the world, uh customer service is kind of everywhere. And uh, as a result of that and the way that our economy in the world is really going, we're much more of a service economy now than we've ever been, especially in the United States, increasingly so in the world. Uh, a necessary corollary to that is that customer service is just going to become bigger and bigger. And and it is, right? I think you know more and more we need help with the products and services we buy and purchase. Um, but on top of that, you know, I think an interesting kind of tailwind behind this whole world of customer services is, is really kind of on the, the backdrop mm-hmm. of, you know, remote working and the pandemic. You know, I think more and more there's a demand, an increase in demand for uh, remote services, right? The way we buy a car is different now more than ever, right? Um, A lot more of that, you know, servicing and a lot more of that front office, or at least tip of the spear work is done over the phone or over chat, over email. Um, The nature of how consumers and and businesses interact have increased in channel, right? So, you know, we're going now to social media. We're using SMS a lot more. Uh, We are using things like community forums that, that companies create to engage their customers and community and using that as a forum to to really provide service. So there's a lot of different newer avenues uh, than the traditional call center that we're used to. Although calls still tend to dominate for most industries, right? Uh, it's interesting, even in the digital era, you know, we we still haven't gotten off the phone, so to speak, and and maybe that's because our our phones are are now supercomputers. You know, they're they're much more capable than just dialing a number, um, and and with that, you know, there's an interesting opportunity to in terms of how service is delivered. But as that's evolved, the way that we measure, you know, the health of an operation, the way we measure the health of a business is often still relegated toward the old ways of the traditional contact center. And so, you know, that's where we saw a market inefficiency. That's where we saw, well, you know, the the way we do analytics, the way we measure the health of an operation has not really caught up to the many ways that businesses and consumers can now interact. And that was really kind of the genesis of what Service Mob was really all about, So uh, that's why I created this company. And but in my days at Accenture, you know, we were helping a lot of big companies solve this exact problem uh, just because, it, you know, on the surface, it sounds straightforward. But, you know, when you take into account all the different systems that make customer service work, all the different channels on which, you know, you can interact, you now have this multivalent, omnivalent ecosystem that becomes harder and harder to track.
1: Yeah. And I love that you bring up your background at Accenture, right? Um, you know, for those that don't know, Accenture is one of the best consulting groups on the planet and you were in their strategy practice and, and did a lot with analytics and customer service. And I mean, you've, you've done it all with them at one of the biggest companies on the planet at solving these problems. What, what made you leave? I'll just call it a cushy enterprise lifestyle, right? Um, with someone else paying the bills to go all in on yourself and start service mob?
0: I don't know. I think I hit my head at some point. Um, <laughs> we'll
1: you know, it's off. an
0: interesting question because I think, um, you know, people think of the dorm room entrepreneurs and there, there's definitely, I think about my career and wonder, you know, could I have started this earlier? Um, definitely there could have been opportunities, but I think every, you know, Uh, Experience that I had at Accenture was gold, and I think I, you know, at the end of the day, I needed to go through those to really find the future opportunity for my own career. I wasn't the dorm room entrepreneur. I was, you know, I was at Accenture for about twelve years. Did my MBA at uh, MIT, and and you know, focused in on a lot of things analytics while I was there. I also used it as a dress rehearsal in some ways of. You know what if I was to start a business? Like, what would it be? And you know, I think you, we tend to you know, go toward our domain expertise. Um, for me, you know, the domain expertise is actually something I, I kind of love, and I don't think uh, a lot of people will admit that they love customer service. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let me convince you, right? Why I like it so much is that I think it's an untapped area of the enterprise, I think the heartbeat. Of every company, you know, at scale, at some level, is going to go through that customer service department. And why I say that is because you know, different than maybe you know, supply chain or accounting or like any other HR. Those all have their their virtues and, and importance for business capabilities. But I think service is truly one of those areas where you know the rubber meets the road. This is where you hear from the voice of the customer. It's a data rich area of the business. Um, And it's probably one of the more underserved areas, right? And generally the reason for that is that traditionally it was never thought of as a a revenue center, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the analytics world, uh, marketing, sales, uh, customer loyalty, customer experience, as we call it, a lot of that had a little bit more love because, you know, I think of the direct relationship to top line metrics, right? And um, customer service, you know, generally was thought of as a cost center, so you know, in a lot of ways, it was uh, less sexy, you know, <laughs> as a piece of the business than than maybe sales or marketing. But it's where you really hear about customers. It's really where you really get the attitudes they have about your brand. It's where you really get to gauge a little bit more about that relationship between your business and the customer. And it, frankly, it's going to inform a lot more about that health of the relationship over the long-term. So when we think about churn, when we think about like lifetime value, when you think about average revenue per user, there's a lot more that has to be said about, you know, having good service and, and how that impacts those, you know, key levers than than even some of the other metrics or, or other capabilities that are out there in the enterprise like sales or marketing. Marketing is great to get you know new customers in, but for the existing customers you have, you know, it's all about relationships <laughs> and uh, every passive and active interaction that you have with the brand. Matters. It, it does matter, and it does affect things. And it's very interesting to see how those interactions and how that psychology really plays into the decisions customers ultimately make. Um, one thing that I will say for service, you know, an analogy I like to give sometimes is, you know, if you think of a good restaurant, right? You know, if you if you go to a restaurant with the best food in the world, Jim, and you walk in with your family, and they treat you like dirt. Are you going back there? You know, it may be the best food, but you might not go back because that service wasn't so great versus, you know, maybe a place with okay food, you know. But, hey, you know, when you're there, they treat you like family and, you know, they give you some extras, a little extra dessert or something. You know, they're nice to your kids, you know, whatever it is that might be a place you go back to and they might earn your business again and again. And so, you know, the, the point there is that, you know, the product definitely matters. There, there's no way around that, that that's important, but a lot more of why customers decide to stay or switch with a brand has to do with service. And I think, you know, that's a, still a relatively under analyzed part of the business. And that's precisely why we wanted to go into this space
1: you know for for tech companies um a lot of people think of that as customer success right um <laughs> and and the evolution of customer service into or account management into customer success and and i you know that's a constant conversation i'm having and i'm just curious is that something that you're often talking about with with some of your customers and and your peers is you know what is customer success and what is customer service
0: Yeah, I I mean, I I think um, over the last 10 years, there's been somewhat of a bifurcation of success versus service. Um, You know, I think of it as the post-sale, like, you know, post-sale, you are now a customer, right? You know, before I might be marketing to a prospect, but not a customer yet. We market to get the sale, right? Once we get the sale, you are a customer. And now that you're a customer, we now have to, you know, figure out how do we work with you post-sale to make sure that uh, you're successful. So I see, you know, success as a um you know, as a, as an umbrella term, you know, for the the post sale and and really that, in my opinion, you know, I think it's come to mean a few different things, right? I think you know uh sometimes with service, we think we tend to think of it as just like, you know, kind of the real time support, that kind of thing, versus and success. Yeah. Success is maybe more of the ongoing relationship, right? It's it's you know, hey, like let me check in with you every week or every couple of weeks just to make sure things are going good, even if nothing is wrong. Versus you know, service has a little bit more of a, a reactive, you know, respond react kind of uh, mentality, right? If hey, when something goes wrong, are you able to take care of me? Both are incredibly important. I think with with us at Service Mob, we, we decided to kind of double down on uh, kind of the 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 real-time service aspect of it, right? Just because that's a little bit more acute. And I think the truth is, as a startup, you don't want to be too broad, but you don't want to be too narrow either, right? And I think, you know, customer success... In a lot of ways, you know, people see that uh, as an extension. And like I said, other groups getting more love. I think success definitely does, you know, have, uh, you know, more tools, more things that measurements and things like that software that people are using to, to help manage that business is nowhere nearly as high throughput as service. You know, so when you talk about like the number of interactions and success, you know, that might be, you know, a phone call a week or a month or something like that, that you're doing to check in on a customer versus, you know, service, I think is, wow, we're getting like tens of thousands of, of contacts every week or every day even, depending on the size of your operation. And I think that physics problem of service is really you know a challenging one right and that's why i think a lot of companies haven't gone to that space so we we kind of deliberately decided not to really go to success because there's some great companies in that space that are doing awesome things like you know gainsight is is one you know that comes to mind where you know again they try to like really put a lot of the numbers around it really put a lot of them, you know how do we how do we manage you know um, some of these customers towards success or orient towards success in a better way Service has kind of lacked a lot of those tools, <laughs> you know, and and the reason why I think it has is because it's just a, a much harder physics problem given the sheer volume of interactions that you get on that side of the business. So we deliberately tried to focus a little, a little bit more on service than success, but I really see them as, you know, uh, two parts of that success equation overall, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes tons of
1: sense. As you transitioned from the expert consulting, right um to the expert building and actually having to do it all yourself as as the guy responsible for building the business, did you have any startup lessons learned as it relates to customer service or customer success, or we'll just call it all in on
0: customer? so you know, <laughs> There's, there's definitely lessons, be, you know, jumping from a consultant to a founder. I think that's that's a little bit more interesting is that I, as a founder, you know, I own that, you know, what, what we were talking about. I own the, right. the success <laughs> of a customer, right? That's a little bit different than being the guy who advises the guy who owes the success of the customer. So, you know, in a lot of ways, you're in the pilot seat when you're a founder, right? And I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to advise a decision maker, but it's another thing to really feel you know the pain on all sides of the business, right? Which is, you know, okay. We have customers who need more and want more things. You also have employees that need to grow in their career and and making sure that uh, they're getting what they need to be successful in their jobs. So as as someone in the you know decision maker seat, it's it is a lot different than being a consultant. Now, there's a lot of great things that translate from the consulting world into running your own company. Um, I think the biggest thing is really sticking to value, right? And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what I did it, it, in my consulting role was really trying to figure out where's the value for both the enterprise and the end customer. So when we're working with big companies like, you know, Google or or Sprint or Microsoft, Right. That's what you're trying to do. You're really trying to understand where's the win-win situation for both the enterprise and the end customer. And why I love customer service is that, you know, those two things are not antithetical, right? So at the end of the day, you know, if we're, if we're doing more, especially in the realm of service to reduce the amount of effort that a customer has to put in to get an issue resolved, we essentially, you know, are doing both the customer a favor because it's more effortless for them, you know, as an experience, but we're also doing the business a favor because there's less operational resources that have to go into uh, resolving that issue and serving that customer in the best possible way. And so, you know, when those two things align, you have some really amazing things happen because, you know, costs go down. You have more promoters, you know, more people who are willing to recommend your business. You have generally more spend from the customers that are happier, um, you know. So increase ARPU if if, if that's a, a term that resonates with the audience, and then you know things like. Uh, you know, reduction in, in overall cost to serve, right? So um, those those are all good things. For some companies, that even, you know, means revenue expansion just because of word of mouth and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of ancillary benefits that come in with this. And uh, we think that, you know, service is playing a bigger and bigger part in that decision to, again, decide to, you know, where do you want to put your money? Right. If you have good service with the company, they're more likely to keep their money with that company and continue on that that revenue stream. But something goes wrong. (laughs) You know, you're always at a threat for losing some of that revenue in the future and and having that go to potentially a competitor.
1: Yeah. And a couple of things just to pull out. So ARPU, super important metric, (laughs) revenue per user. Yeah, sorry not, about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, average revenue per user. I'm sure mo- a lot of people know, but you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the acronyms. And then also you mentioned the employee's role in this, right? And and your role as a founder not just setting up the customer for success but the employee for success. So oh, one yeah. thing that ties question that ties those together, which I think is just so important for you to give your insight on is how do you find employees that are customer centric. How do you find employees? Because every employee should be a customer service person, right? At the end of the day, whether that's their job or not, they should have the eye of the customer in mind. So right. And I how think you find those types. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: I think when we interview, you know, I think we relate to a lot of people because you know, at the end of the day, we're all customers of something, right? Yeah. Like I started this with, you know, it, it, this affects everyone. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're you know a developer that's trying to work here or work with our biz dev or strategy or you know user design, part of that is I really start interviews with putting that customer hat on, right? trying to understand, Hey, what frustrates you about the experience that you've, you've had forget about service mom for a second, you know, yeah. who's your healthcare provider? United healthcare. Who's your, you know, airline Delta, you know, like, tell me about the experience you had. What was the last one you had? Was it good? Was it bad? You know, and oftentimes like that triggers. And I think this, this is probably true for a lot of people, some horror stories, some really tough, you know, interactions, that people have had to have with companies. Some of them are just bad interactions that waste a lot of time. Some of them are are much more painful, much more personal, right? You know, and and I've heard of some of our employees have had you know bad um, experiences with banks after you know going through an identity threat theft, right? Mm-hmm. And you know the worst thing that you want to see is you know you open up your your online banking account and all of a sudden like. No money's there, right? And now you're going through and you're you're talking to 15 different departments to figure out. I mean, it's a scary thing for somebody. I've heard of you know some really personal issues just around end of life, like you're trying to get benefits or trying to understand that. And you know, you're dealing with you know poor chatbots, you know, that are trying to give condolences to you. And it's like, what is, what is this? Like, why am I talking to a robot here? Like, this is not. experience that we expect so it's it's an interesting um the context of the interaction matters quite a bit and part of what we try to do you know is is really you know start from the experiences you had as a just a a customer who has to go through service and then back that into you know what would you do different you know how would you fix this now, if you were in charge what what would really happen here right? and you know if if we know what would really happen, okay well, what do we need to do to really make that real and and oftentimes you'll see that you know pretty much and and this is part of the thesis of service Bob, but I try to see if if a lot of the employees we hire really get to that point where they say, wow, you know what's really wrong with customer service is, kind of the measurement aspect. You know, there's that whole, you know, that Peter Drucker quote, you know, you you can't improve what you can't measure. And a lot of what's wrong with customer service today is that there's a a dearth of measurement. There's really just not a lot of things that, you know, you're able to measure. There's a lot of dark data, um, you know, in customer service where you can't really distill it into, you know, real performance information. Um, that's a, that's a very hard thing. And if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And I think, you know, where we try to see if, uh, you know, a lot of our employees are led to is, you know, Hey, do you recognize that it's really hard to run this operation, right? You know, even though you may have had a bad experience trying to understand it, if you owned it from the other side, it's going to be really hard to improve that experience. If you don't ultimately have the data to show you where things are going right and where things are going wrong and I think you get to that realization then you realize okay you know there's there's probably a good fit for service mob because you know that's kind of central to our thesis and you know being in this uh, you know industry for decades that's you know the, one of the key insights you know it's it's the reason why the chatbot doesn't really understand your problem. It's the reason why you have to wait 45 minutes at 1030 on Tuesday, right? It's the reason why you have to talk to five people. It's the reason why, uh, you know, you have to call back again because, you know, someone didn't really resolve your issue. All of that has to do with, you know, at some level, limitations in data. Mm -hmm. Right. And and if you are able to fix some of those things, you can dramatically improve the, the level of service that you provide to end customers. But without it, it becomes really hard. And I think that's the empathy that we have to have for. You know, the operators that are doing this business day in and day out. It's a hard thing to just answer phones or you respond to angry emails and angry customers all day who are just really mad, right? Yeah. You know, that's a that that's a, a very stressful job at the end of the day to do and so having empathy for that side of it i think is incredibly important and knowing that hey look the best thing that we can do for all sides of this equation again that win win scenario is better transparency of information because if you have that you know now you can improve you know where there's deficiencies if you have that now you can coach agents on not on the places where they really need coaching right if you have that now you can have better audit automated uh, workflows that allow for better service levels or better forecasting for you know what we have to come in the future those are really important functions that that exist today but it's it's key to know that a lot of that is done on partial information right and the more that we can complete that picture and shine a light on that dark data the better off these operations are going to be the better off they're supporting their workforce in serving the end customer and the better off customers are going to be in having a better experience and so that's how we kind of bring it full circle you know not with just our employees but you know also trying to figure out okay how can they also you know keep in their minds and in their hearts those, you know, call center operators who have to do this day in and day out, because that's where the whole business happens. That's that one interaction multiplied by thousands and thousands of contacts over many different channels. That's where the whole business happens. And so the more we can understand and show about that, the better off, you know, the operation is better off the end customer is and the better off, you know, we are in creating value as a company. So awesome. Uh,
1: incredible things there right there i mean so many people make the mistake um especially as it relates to hiring and firing or <laughs> not having customer centric employees right um as you think about other mistakes common mistakes that people make around customer service what are the what are the biggest things that you see you know companies especially you know earlier stage companies making as it relates to customer service and maybe one thing that they can do to solve for that?
0: Yeah, I think um, one of the big things that I see sometimes is like really trying to not understand some of the preferences of customers, right? I think it's really important that you understand the channel and mode in which a a customer wants to operate in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you offer something you have to back that up, right? In other words, if I offer a phone channel, the worst thing that you can do is try to obfuscate that, right? Mm-hmm. I, and I see people do this. Like, why do we even offer this then, right? If we're trying to hide the phone number, or if we're trying to, you know, uh, I've seen things where, you know, folks try to purposely burn their cues to try to force them to go to different channels like chat and that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, that's going to hurt you on the top line. You know, might maybe maybe you save a few tickets, right? But you know, um, at the end of the day, that that may anger your customers to a point where they don't want to do business with you because when they need that support, you have to be responsive, right? You have to you have to be willing to you know really help them correct that issue so that they can you know do what they need to do in your products so that they're again successful. Right. And if they can't be successful, there's a there's a time limit on how long they're gonna keep you as a customer, right? Uh, or, or how long they'll stay as a customer, you know, for your, your product or service. So, you know, um and certainly I think whether that's, they'll
1: recommend you to other customers, right?
0: With- exactly. And then they'll you know, they'll go out there and you know, in this day and age. Uh, there's megaphones out there, and Twitter, and you know Better Business Bureau, and there's all kinds of uh, G two. You know, it's one that comes to mind in business to business and B two B world, where you know people leave feedback, and and that feedback can burn, and that that's feedback that people read to to make decisions on whether or not they want to you know invite you for an RFP or invite you to even audition for a sale, right? You know, for against the need that a business has, and so. You know, that's an important thing that, you know, I think if you're planning to offer these things, try to really understand, you know, what your customers want and how they want it and then optimize for that. You know, I I think it's it's uh it's a little bit tough when you say, "Hey, look, we're going to offer the phone channel, but we really don't want anyone to use it." Right? It's like, then, you know, in that case, I wouldn't I I just wouldn't offer it to start with, right? <laughs> and there's going to be some folks that prefer that channel uh, that some that prefer chat over phone and phone over chat or you know email even so you know there's all kinds of different ways to get in contact with companies um, the the other side of that is you know trying to overdo it. I've seen this too, right um, so this idea of you know when I think of this idea of omnivalent right you know we talk about omnichannel I talk about omnivalent. And the the idea, of omnivalent is that you're not just trying to, you know offer any channel under the sun to to interact with your company. What you really want to do is you know balance this idea of uh, preference and prescription, right? So you know, to some level, you want to offer enough channels where you know your customers can get in contact with you with relatively low effort. But at the same time, you don't want to offer channels that you can't really be responsible. You know, you're not uh, truly staffing the right way or, you, you know, you're not taking care of it in the way that, you know, a channel or a mode to talk to a company should should operate. One example that I can give you is, you know, when Facebook Messenger came out. A lot of companies wanted to, you know, put something out on Facebook Messenger. And, you know, so that, that was a mode that you can get in touch with any kind of company. Now, when you message them on Facebook Messenger, if they didn't have someone on the other side really, you know, making sure that those customers were taken care of via that channel, you're losing a lot of trust. And, and you know, that's what I would notice is that you would text someone and say, hey, I need help with this order and, you know, no response for four or five days. You know, that's not taking care of the customer, right? So, you know, you want to do this in a way that, in in my opinion, where you can best service the customer. You don't want to offer so many channels that, hey, look, well, phone and chat are really the only real ways to get in contact with us, and these other ones don't really work that will lose trust really quickly with your customer. Um but at the same time if you do offer it, make sure that you know you staff it appropriately, make sure you're doing you're treating it with respect because your customers will find their way to those channels if you offer it. They
1: will and that brings me to another really important thing that I'd love for you to weigh on which is the role of social media evolution in this whole thing we call customer service, right? You you touched on it around the channels and you touched on it around, you know, the employee experience around it, but, but like, what is life going to look like in a couple of years as it relates to customer service connected to social media, right? Are, are things evolving? How does, how does that all come together as as things evolve?
0: Customer, so customer service on social media is interesting because like you get that megaphone effect. And unfortunately there's a bias toward negativity. That's what the data shows us, right? Um, Sometimes, you know, there definitely, you'll get a, you know, a good comment every now and then, you know, Hey, kudos to, to Jim, he really knocked out my issue. But, you know, most of the time it's, it's like, Hey, you know, Jim, you know, you really didn't do well on this issue. And I'm letting, you know, my 15,000 followers know, and now you're just getting a, a world of hate online. Uh, I think Delta Airlines just experienced this, right? I, I think it was interesting where somehow they were, there was a tweet, you know, about, I've been on hold for six hours, right? Whatever. And I was talking to, you know, and, and De- someone who had the official Delta Airlines was like, you know they responded like, "Calm down, like you know this is a hard job. Calm down, right?" And that was not taken very well, right? And then you know eventually that got retweeted thousands and thousands of times. It made you know some headlines. Like they got picked up by Forbes. You know it was one of those things where that one event that normally would be. You know, maybe not the best experience, but at least it would have been, you know, kind of private, became very public very fast. Right. And, um, you know, and I think like that scares companies to some level. And, and that's why, you know, you've seen people try to hack the customer service system because they're like, well, I don't want to like wait on phone forever. And I don't want to like use whatever chatbot they have. So I'm just going to scream online and, and maybe that's a way I can get better service. So um, I don't know that it's changed a lot from there, but there is, you know, what we're seeing more is that companies that are embracing this, they're trying to create, you know, specific pages for support. And, you know, oftentimes what they do is they, you know, they'll take that, case from a public channel and then try to move the conversation to a more private channel like email um, or, you know, even in channel like direct tweeting or direct message or something of that nature. So I I see it as a way to... uh, You know, it's it's something that scares companies because you can get, you know, for the wrong reason, you can become very famous quickly. But at the same time, you know, it's it's part of our society now and it's a it's an equalizer. I think, you know, if but you have to think of it this way, Jim, if there was an easy way to get service. Like if you could go through the traditional channels and get service, why are they going to social media in the first place? Usually it's not the first place people go. It's right. after I called in five times, I chatted eight times, they screwed me on this. They, you know, It's after usually something really bad. I'd say 90% of the issues you see on social media that are bad are after- customers have exhausted the traditional channels, which again goes back to my previous comment is that if you have those channels, you got to treat those channels and those interactions with the proper care and respect that they deserve because you're telling customers you could come in and contact us through these channels. you have to you know properly staff those, you have to properly you know resolve those issues. Um, if you're not doing that or you don't have the ability to do that, then you have to rethink your entire strategy right because then what can happen very quickly yeah. is that you will become famous on social media for bad service
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i think that's the truth you see that
1: you see that more and more now and whether they've exhausted other channels or not i mean you give customers the easy button and you make things easy for them you know they they tend to respond positively you make things challenging and now the world is easier than ever to make it more challenging for you as a business. So, um, some really awesome points there. And that, that brings us to the next part of our show, which is called the founder five. And Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, 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 here we go. <laughs> Listeners know that this is just a series of, of five rapid fire questions, really all about you Anoush, right. Um, all about you so that others can learn from you and Um, We try to get through these in a quick hit manner. So I'm just going to start laying them down for you. And you say what comes to mind. Okay. All right. So first is the number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly
0: focused on as a founder. I think the number one KPI I'm focused on uh, eventually is going to, you know, everyone will say revenue or that kind of thing, something of that nature. Uh, you, You know, to me, it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's gotta link to impact. And I think eventually where we're going, you know, as we expand our businesses, I always ask, you know, how many agents, how many people are getting their data from Service Mom? You know, it's like for the 18 million agents that are out there in the world, you know, I, I always like to think like, okay, you know, how many of those are we servicing, right? How many of those agents are getting their data from us? And uh, you know, if if we're able to expand that, then we're we're having more impact. So that's a, what I look at. I love that.
1: I'm surprised you didn't say ARPU, though. Just give. <laughs> the... <laughs> awesome. All right. Cool. Second question. Top tip for growth stage founders like yourself.
0: I think the top tip is you know stay in the game long enough to understand where the opportunities are in the space. Um, I think um, as founders start off. There's enormous pressure to say, okay, we have, you know, the perfect idea. Uh, understand that, you know, ideas are are probably worth a diamond dozen, right? You have to execute on it, but you also have to test it out in the market. You know, so um, I think part of it is staying around long enough in in a specific space to really understand where the pain points are. Um, what I call it is zeroing in on the pain points. Once you zero in on the pain point that I think is large enough, you know, for, uh, you know, I, I would say as a problem or an effic- a market inefficiency to, to go address. And then I think the other side of that is once you zero in on something that excites you. Because I I always say, you know, use the the five-year rule. You know, could you could you be solving this problem for the next five years and be happy? Or would you get sick of it after a week? Like so, you know, I yeah. usually say, hey, look, if I could deal with this problem for five years, even if it's one year, even if it's two weeks, at least you know that you can go the distance, you know, with this idea for a good amount of time. And then if you find that, once you zero in on the problem, then it's how do we go from zero to one? How do we now productize? you know, a solution around a problem. Um, The worst thing you can do is, you know, come up with a solution that's looking for a problem to fix. And there's a lot of that, that, you know, even though I, I feel like people say that so often, there are still a lot of solutions out there that don't have Problems that are are big enough or prevalent enough to to be worth fixing. Yeah. So um, I think that's what I would tell founders. Stay <laughs> in the game. I love it. That's a great tip, Anuj. And
1: and I would I would also say that ideas, while a dime a dozen, great ideas are hard to come by. As somebody who you know finds and invests in great that's ideas, that's true. Myself, So execution, incredibly important, but if you've got a great idea, let's find a way to bring that to the world. So uh, yes, stay in the game. Love it. All right, cool. (laughs) All right, next one is um, favorite book or podcast or some medium that's helped you grow as a founder?
0: Yeah, you know, um, there's a couple. Well, you know, one that comes to mind is one of our early investors, you know, has uh, Mucker Capital, they have a, a great podcast called Blue Collar VC. Um, part of their, you know, theory, and part of you know what I was talking about, staying the game. A lot of that ethos, I think, comes from Mucker. You know, they they really, you know, focus on this idea of not just product market fit, right? Because I think, like, you know, that term we hear that a lot of times, but in my mind, and and I think what what that particular Podcast does, especially when it's working with founders. They look at this as product, product, market, and team, right? And if you think of that as a as kind of a triangle, right? Each segment represents a certain fit that you as a company need to achieve at some point. So it's not just product market fit; it's also market team fit, right? Is this the team to address the market inefficiency? Uh, and then you know, team product fit. Is this the team to build the product that could, you know, deal with that market efficiency? So, you know, team product fit, product market fit, team market fit. Those are all things that uh, at the end of the day, you need to have. And uh, if you can nail those three, I think... That's kind of the makings of a successful company, right? And I think the the ethos of Mucker on that Blue Collar VC and a lot of the folks that they interview for that um, really go to the heart of that principle.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I, I know Mucker. I know Mucker well. I didn't know you were a portfolio company. So that's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's, that's terrific. Um, all right, cool. Here's a fun one. So if you had to pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would it be and why? Well, you know, if
0: it was purely on looks, probably like George Clooney, you know, I think Perfect. we look like, <laughs> if I think of like really good actors, uh, you know, I would hope that maybe it'd be like someone like Russell Crowe, like in gladiator days, like something like that. Cause I feel like that's what we're doing. You know, uh, I feel yeah. like, you know, as, 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 um, founders, we're always underdogs, right. You know, and I'm reminded of that scene in Gladiator where it's like there's they're reenacting this this, uh, you know, old battle. And the whole point of it is that, you know, the slaves are supposed to lose and more or less die on that, like in that arena. Yet in this version of it, the slaves actually won. Right. And the whole thing was by really sticking together, not trying to fight individually because if you fight individually you're pretty much dead but if you fight together and i think this is important for startup teams you fight together you stay together you find that you know core group of believers that really tries to you know enact the mission of your company then you you might have that slight chance to win Right? right, Defy the odds, defy history. Everyone would tell you that every business should fail, but you know, statistically, you know, starting a business is a failure of an endeavor. but why do we do it? We do it because you know that that small chance of success, and for you to maximize that, you have to work together with a team. There's no one person that can really enact anything. Uh, I think all great things do happen in teams. And so you got to find that team like we were talking about earlier and really stick together, stick with them, and you'll be surprised at the odds that you can defy, you can rewrite history as a result of that.
1: Well said. I love it. Um, all right, here's here's the last one. Uh if if you were to have an autobiography written of you at the end of your life, right? Um, what
0: would be <laughs> the title? Oh, wow. Um I don't know the long way home or <laughs> third and <laughs> third and long. You know, like the Anuj Balla story. I, I think, uh, I think you know. For me, it'd be something like that. <laughs> uh,
1: oh, man, maybe fourth and long even.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe fourth and out right. <laughs> uh, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, uh, I always see. Things as a challenge, right? And I, I think like what's interesting is that, uh, you know, statistically, using the football analogy, like in like on fourth down, you should always like, you know, there's a conventional wisdom that you should always like punt, right? You know, always punt the ball. But you know, I think with some teams, like w- with the right attitude, uh, they were able to again defy the statistics and say, you know what, on fourth, go for it right? Um, because what's the worst that can happen? There's a lot of, you know, a lot of times that uh, you're going to overturn the possession, <laughs> you know, so to speak in life. But I say, you know, use use all four downs, right? Like use every bit of time you have to kind of advance the ball. Um, time goes by quickly and you realize this is founders. Like, you're like, oh man, it's already, you know, end of July right now, right? Uh, where did this year go? Um, you have a limited amount of time to really, you know, make something happen. So you got to use every second you have. And and so, you know, in that analogy, I'd say, you know, on fourth down, go for it. You know, as I think it's the founder's credo, go for it. Try to try to advance the ball, try to, you know, live to fight another day and, you know, get that touchdown at the end of the day. Maybe even go for it too. Who knows? yeah. <laughs> go for right. two yeah definitely
1: always don <laughs> McVeigh way all right uh, awesome so um the uh, you know th- you've given so much to our audience today and so first off thank you um and second off just want to offer you a platform to maybe see if there's a way the audience might be able to help you um so you know on that note what you know what are you looking for any any goals that you've got that you really could use a little bit of support from others on, other founders?
0: Yeah. You know, first of all, if you're a founder trying to figure out, okay, I've I've grown to a certain point. I need to figure out customer service. I need to figure out how to service our products so that they're happy, uh, you know, so that our end customers are happy, that is. Contact me, you know, that this is what I love doing, you know. Uh, so, um, I'll put that out there for anyone who needs advice on customer service. If you want me to take a look at some data, I have a no refusal of data policy as a data scientist. So, I love looking at it. I, I love uh, trying to help people understand things in it that they didn't see previously. I, that excites me. But on top of that, you know, I, I think uh, the bigger thing for us is as founders, I think. What I've seen time and time again is that founders are the best resource for other founders, and I'd say less about me, pay it forward as much as possible. Right? There are founders that that need your help. There are founders that could use an introduction to a customer, to an investor, to a potential partnership. Um, you know, those are all important things. We all need help along the way. This is. Uh, a lonely journey as a founder. So, you know, I think the only, the people who really understand what you're going through right now, and it could be a very hard journey, like roller coasters up and down every day, uh, you know, try to find that group, try to find, try to reach out, try to help. And, And that's what I would offer to other founders out there. You know, if, if uh, you need help with something, um, if if there's a way that I could be helpful in the future based on my background and experience, um, I'd like to always, always pay it forward. And I'd ask other founders really do that because this is a hard journey. It is not easy to do this, and uh, we need. You know, frankly, I'll say it for everyone to say is we need all the help we can get as founders to, to really enact that vision and, and really be, hopefully at the end of the day, successful with our enterprises. Well, I got to say, you're the only guest so
1: far who's ever dodged the question of how people can help you, <laughs> somehow turned it into helping others, which I love. But I'm going to re-ask the question because I'm not going to
0: let you dodge. How can others help you? yeah like I said, uh, you know, look, we're in the customer service analytics business, so we'd love to earn the business of others out there, there um if the, if you are dealing with an operation right now and you want to have more visibility, and I think it's a good thing to do from the start. doesn't matter if you're ten agents or a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand, right? It's really important to have visibility so you can make better decisions, right? Uh, I think one of the best things I've ever heard is that businesses and it's it's a truth to me. I think it's like, you know, Newton's first law of enterprise, right? It's like <laughs> businesses only move as fast as they can make decisions. And a corollary to that is better data really enacts or really enables better decision making. Better data can help you make decisions faster, which can help move your business faster. And, you know, there's a real value proposition in what you're doing on the service side. And if you want to know more about that, you know, definitely engage us. We want that. And, Um, You know, anything, uh, if there's investors out there that are interested in this problem, because I think, you know, especially in this industry, right, Um, and, and especially with, you know, kind of current conditions, you know, customer service is becoming more of a gateway to businesses. It's important to not just retaining customers, but also optimizing and controlling your costs, so from that standpoint, you know, I think we have a very strong value proposition for companies and if there's investors who are excited about that and and the the types of companies, the many types of companies we're working with from, you know, early stage startup to, you know, Fortune 500 enterprise which represent the breadth of of our uh customer base, then um you know, talk to us. We we'd love to talk to you. That's awesome. I'm so glad we were able to meet um from
1: uh from that Forbes list, which I guess yeah. is how we got introduced originally. So, um, you heard it here. What's the best way in news for people to get on, in touch with you? Is it
0: LinkedIn, email? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is is definitely great. You know, if they mention um, you know this podcast, that'd be great. Uh, just to, it's always good to have a little context on where they they may have uh, you know yeah. heard of us. Because uh, I know you know inboxes can get can get clogged, but that helps you kind of get to the top of the queue. You mentioned uh, Orchid Black, or you mentioned Jim, or anyone else, right? We can we can uh, uh, definitely make sure we get in touch with you. So perfect, perfect. And, and I make sure that I respond. So that's that's the other thing.
1: We won't leave you hanging. So. I, right. Bala, <laughs> we'll put we'll put a link in the show notes for all you guys as well. So. Thank you for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. And um, hopefully you have a wonderful rest of your week, brother. Hey, thank
0: you so much, Jim. Really fun to be here. And uh, hopefully uh, we can do this again sometime. You bet. All right. Take care. All right. Bed. Bye-bye.
1: If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.